Thank you for downloading the South Everett Foursquare podcast. This is Pastor Chris Pepler, and you've joined us for part one of our overview of the Gospel of John. You can find us any weekend at the Village on Casino Road at 10.30 a.m. on Sundays, or visit us on our website, southeverett.org. Enjoy today's podcast.
look to the Lord. Maybe your cry to him is, I need you, God. Maybe your cry to him is, praise the Lamb. Maybe your cry to him is, who are you? But would you look to the Lord? week, um, I found in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes about John the Baptist, and as I learned, I realized that he's considered the forerunner of Jesus. In John 1, people would um, question John the Baptist. They would question who he is, and he would say, I am the voice of of the one calling in the wilderness makes straight the way for the Lord. And he was a true messenger. He dedicated his life to telling people who Christ was and all the wonderful things that he was going to do. He must become greater and I must become less. Eight little words, but eight powerful words. He must become greater and we must become less. More of you. Father, and less of me, more of you and less of us,
in John chapter 2 through chapter 10. And what it's designed to do is to get people who were created in God's image to refocus their energy, their imagination, and their attention on the person of Jesus. Jesus came and he said, hey, hey, look here, look at me, look at me. You want to know who God is? Look here. I am the full embodiment of everything that you have been pursuing and not pursuing. But now I'm here in your midst. Take a look at my actions. Listen to my words. I'm revealing myself to you, the Lord would say. And this is true. As we, as disciples of Jesus, confess the lordship of Jesus, he moves us from our limited point of view. And we've got a limited point of view sometimes. It's limited. It's not complete. But our pride sometimes makes us think it is the full view. And boy, isn't that when we get into trouble? When we think that we have the full picture and then act as if we do and end up (laughs) in really disappointing, humiliating places sometimes. But he moves us from our limited point of view towards a view that centers around his kingdom and not our own kingdom. This is what we learn from the gospel of John. We're going to talk about relationship this morning. In the beginning was the Word, John says, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And Jesus was with God in the beginning. That all sounds really relational, doesn't it? This incarnational sense of withness, togetherness, connectedness. This is what John brings for us. And we talked a little bit about his epistle written to the early church, not a church in specifically one church, but just the local church of people who were following Jesus in Asia Minor, which is now Western Turkey. And he said, oh, if you could have just been there, if you could have just known him, if you could have touched him and seen him, spent time with him, all we want, our greatest joy in life would be that you would know him, that you would know God. And if you knew God, then my joy would be, that would be it. That'd be the best thing. I could go home to heaven if you would just know Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing for us to have that as our life call? Just that others would know Jesus. Perry has shared his story with me four or five times this week, and I'm glad that he keeps sharing with with me because sometimes we hear things and then we forget how amazing God is. But Perry was with with a fellowship of believers last week that he and his family were a part of for many, many years. He went there for a friend's baptism. Somebody else in that congregation invited their 89-year-old friend to just come, and the pastor preached the gospel, and that 89-year-old man came to Jesus last Sunday and went home to be with Jesus after suffering a heart attack on Monday. The fast track. (laughs) It's like Disneyland when you don't have to stand in line. You just, you know, the genie pass. Just get it, go. Right? So here's a guy that didn't know Jesus last Sunday and is now with Jesus fully in his presence face-to-face this week. Because some friend of his 
said, I wish you would just know him. Now he does. Not remarkable how God does that and continues to do those things. Bringing these things home for us, John had this burden that his friends would know Jesus. And this week I posed in an email, who are the people of greatest influence in your life that you wish that we could know? Just to think about that. Do you, do you have anyone in your life that this fellowship would benefit from if we just knew them? If we just could have spent some time with them? I've got a few that I want to share with you just as we get started. And we have a few pictures of some of these people up here for you to take a look at. I just want to share with you about a few different people. Uh, this, this first person right here is my, my grandma, Mary Peters. That's my mom, Marlena. But this is my grandma, Mary Peters, about a month before she went home to be with Jesus at the age of 94 in 2015. I had a chance to fly back to to Philadelphia and spent some time with her, but I wish she could have known her. I really wish that we all could have spent some time together. She was my grandmother who lived, my only grandparent really, that I had any relationship with. Uh, my grandmother lived across the country in Philadelphia, but she was the kind of grandma that might as well have lived across the street because we were that close relationally. I would only see her once a year, but from age five to age 35, we would speak every Saturday. we'd have a chance to spend some time together. 215-340-6267. We don't know phone numbers anymore. Right? <laughs> but we used to dial those things, and I would dial her up, or she would dial me up every Saturday, and we would just spend time together. And she loved Jesus. She prayed for her grandchildren. She was a gift giver. She put gifts in the mail. She'd duct tape them like over and over. And just it would take forever to get into the gift. But it was, there was always gifts. Um, she was a constant in my life during a time of, of great inconsistency and, and chaos growing up. She was just there. She was just me. She would call and sing to me in Polish. First generation born in the United States. Both of her brothers and her parents were from Poland. They came about 104 years ago to the United States through Ellis Island, but she was born and raised and spent her life in Philadelphia. And she was like the biggest, just the biggest fan favorite of the youth of Eastside Foursquare. When, when my grandma was 85, she was still traveling out here independently when she was 85. She would come and we would do interviews with her with the youth group and all the middle school kids. And they just thought that she was awesome. And Mimi would come you know, for another visit up on her cane and like kids would like race to her because she was just <laughs> such a wonderful person and she just loved everybody. But what I'd want you to know about her and how she shifted my perspective on things was to think of eternity even a little bit differently. Uh, the day after this visit was the last time that I saw my grandma this side of heaven. And so we had a chance to sit and I had a chance to share with her everything that I want her to know about the life that we had together. And I am sobbing. I'm just, I can't get through this thing I'm trying to read. And she's 94 years old and she's calm. She's just relaxed. And she's just rubbing my back. And she's like, it's going to be okay, Chris. We'll see each other again. And then I'm like, can't leave. And she goes, okay, well, we'll see you again another time. She reminds me that this life isn't all that there is. There's more beyond that. That's my grandmother. I wish you could have known her. My friend and my very, very first youth leader, who became my youth pastor and one of my closest mentors, Brian Arwine. 
You see him down there in the white uh, Chevy pickup truck. He, he let me know that you should never buy a Ford. He was a Chevy guy. So I will probably never buy a Ford because of Brian Arline. Not because I know anything about the quality of the car, but Brian said not to. And so Chevy, if I ever buy a truck, it better be a Chevy truck. But uh, Brian was the first one to help me see my value as a child of God. First one to see that value. Uh, he saw me before a lot of people did. Brian asked the best questions. The reason why we have small groups in here and ask good questions of each other is probably because of Brian Arline. Because he was relentless in the pursuit of not just asking how you were doing, but how are you and Jesus doing? How are you in his word doing? What is he teaching you today? How is it impacting the way that you live out your week? I ask questions the way that I do because of him. And he taught me that Jesus matters more than any other person in our life and that suffering and hardship are okay as part of the process. Brian had more than 40 major surgeries in his life. He was the Job that existed in my world. He suffered mightily. And to the end of his life, took care of his mother who was passing from Alzheimer's. And it was all that he had left in this world. He used to run, jump, mountain climb, do everything. And then, like, when he turned 30, everything in his body just started to fail. And he lived on this earth a miserable existence for his last 20 years. And his mom died. And then he died within a week. Eight years ago. But he loves Jesus, and he's home. I wish he could have known Brian. He was fun. Brian was a lot of fun. Right? And then my friend Thomas Moore. We met through Eastside in 2007 when he moved here from Ferguson, Missouri, as a software engineer who'd been hired with Microsoft. And there's so much I could say about Thomas, but I will simply say this about him. He's the first person who modeled for me what healthy gospel-centered conversation around racism and reconciliation could look like. How to do that in a really healthy way. And Thomas and I came together and knew that we could learn something from each other as brothers in Christ with different perspectives on the world and different journeys through the world. And we knew that if we were going to have conversations like the ones that we've been having for the last eight years about racism and reconciliation and equality and all those things, we knew that if we were gonna have those conversations, we would inevitably step on each other's toes sometimes. But we made a pact and just said, we're learning to dance. We're learning to be the reconciled, unified kingdom of Jesus. And we're gonna to have to ask some stuff sometimes that might feel like you're stepping on somebody's foot. So I've stepped on his feet, he stepped on my feet, we're learning to dance, but it's, it's, it's different now because we've had the chance to work that out with each other. You could still meet Thomas. Like, he's not, he hasn't passed like these other individuals. He's actually in town right now. We're going to hang out on Friday. But I wish he could meet Thomas. He's been to our services here in the past. And maybe, anyone recognize Thomas? Have we seen him before? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, we, we speak multiple times a month. And when we get together, we usually have coffee for about six hours straight. So uh, he's just a wonderful friend. But I wish you could have known him. Why does this, why does this matter? 
about the people that we wish. Again, this comes back to John's heart. I wish you could have known Jesus, right? But we have those people in our lives as well. This matters because our lives weren't created to be lived in a vacuum. That wasn't the way that God intended for things. We have this outstanding ability to impact each other's lives. Think about this. For the good or for the not so good. We could enhance a relationship in this room at the end of this gathering, or we could absolutely destroy it by our words or our actions. Don't we know that's the truth? God has given us a tremendous amount of authority in the lives of one another. And we get to steward that well, or we get to steward it poorly. But because of God's grace, we can always make redemptive steps to see any relationship that's broken reconciled because of the power and the grace of Jesus, because of witness, because the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He can reconcile all things even through today. By what we have to offer people, what they have to offer us, we can shift each other's perspective in our view of relationships and of the kingdom. I know that suffering is okay as a part of a relationship with Jesus because of Brian. He helped me see that. I know that this life isn't the end because of how calmly my grandmother went home to be with the, with the king. I know that because there are divisions, temporary things that want to divide us and keep us apart. Down to our age, our race, our political views, or our gender, or our ethnicity that want to keep us apart. Thomas reminds me, it doesn't have to be that way. We learn from each other. Our perspectives are shifted when we're in the presence of one another. And then how much more in the presence of Jesus can our perspectives be shifted? We're going to talk about that in groups today. I want to tell you just a little bit about John. We have a picture of John. That's John. Saint John. See, John was a self-centered, hot-tempered fisherman before he met this one rabbi. It was this rabbi he met this one time. This rabbi would become his friend. John 13 tells us that for a minute, this rabbi would become his servant. When no one else would serve each other, and Jesus wrapped a cloth around his waist and got down on his hands and knees and washed the feet of his disciples. John was in that room with Peter. And Matthew. So this rabbi who would become a friend, who would become a servant, who would eventually become his savior, John became a different person with a different worldview because of Jesus. John, the author of this gospel. We serve this triune God. This is the most complex thing in most of Christian theology. One God in three persons. The Blessed Trinity. One essence in a dynamic relationship. Father, Son, and Spirit. Distinct in their own right. Every part of the Godhead distinct in its own right. Yet incomplete independently of one another. It's complicated. Genesis, however, 1.26 says this. After talking about these five spectacular days of creation, God said on the sixth day, language matters, let us make mankind in our image. 
Let us make mankind in our image. That speaks to the power of Trinity more than just about anything else that I know. God did not create because God was lonely. That's important to remember. God did not create because God was lonely. God created because, and he still creates because God is inexplicably loving in the context of relationship. Can you fully explain or understand the depths of God's love for you? No, we can't. Can we, can we demonstrate, like fully articulate what it is to be with each other? I'm better off this morning than I was at 6.30 a.m. when I got up and got in my car and came up here and met Perry. As soon as I saw Perry this morning start setting up, it was still dark. And I was like, oh, relationship. This is good. This is good and right. But we can't explain exactly why it's good and right, but it is. We can't explain the fullness of God's love for us. Love is God's whole being. That is his whole being. God is love. He desires to share that love. And so we were created. About this disciple John, some of Scripture's most profound statements about the love of God were written by John, who experienced the love of Christ beyond the experiences of most of the rest of us. Would you not agree that John had an understanding of Jesus, an experiential, face-to-face, flesh-to-flesh, eye-to-eye, head-to-shoulder, hands-to-feet? God, I wish you could know him, he said. I wish you could know him. Because if you knew him, then my joy would be complete. This is John, the author of this fourth gospel, part of Jesus' inner circle, including James and Peter. He refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. I sometimes wonder how the other disciples felt about that. <laughs> he did a lot of really great things, but he was also human. He was just a, he was just a guy. He was human. He wrestled with pride. He wrestled with his temper. John and his brother James, you guys know what their nickname? Do you remember their nickname? The Sons of Thunder? (laughs) Mark 3.17 tells us that. You know, nicknames are like trail names for hikers. I've told you a little bit about this. We have trail names for hiking, but we, we aren't allowed to give trail names to ourselves. They have to be bequeathed to us. And they're usually given to us based on some sort of experience. So out on the trail, I'm yard sale because I just leave stuff all over the place all the time. My keys right here have this little, this little tile thing on them, and I have to click it. Uh, and if I click it, then my phone will go off uh, because I, don't, I, I can't keep track of my phone or my wallet or my keys ever. So I just leave stuff all over the place. And I couldn't find my wall again yesterday, and I clicked it. And Caleb's like, how many times do you click that thing a week? And I'm like, a lot. Because <laughs> I just leave things places. So we get names because of who we are. So imagine the conversation going down like this. Hey, James and John, uh, why does your teacher call you guys the Sons of Thunder? Okay. <laughs> is there like a story that goes with that? Well, in fact, there is in Luke chapter 9. We see that Jesus... While he's making his trip, his final trip from Galilee to Jerusalem, because he would make that trip frequently, when he was going before he would go to the cross, they were walking through Samaria, and Jesus says to them, hey, why don't we send a couple messengers ahead into Samaria? 
so that they might prepare a place for us to stay so that we don't you know, have to make the whole trip. We can just stop at the Motel 6 or whatever, and people make a meal for us, and they give us a place to stay, and then we'll continue on with our journey. And so they went, and they sent the messengers, and the messengers came back, and they said, yeah, Samaria doesn't want us. Why wouldn't Samaria want Jesus and his disciples? Well, remember that Jews hated the Samaritans. Why did they hate the Samaritans? It was uncommon for Jews to ever make this 90-mile trek from Galilee down to Jerusalem without going far and around and through the mountains to get there. They could have gone straight through Samaria, but they took the harder, more treacherous journey because they hated these people. They hated them so much that they didn't even want to be anywhere near them. Their ancestors had hated these people because they were a half because when the nation of Israel was taken by the kingdom of Assyria and gone into exile, some of the Jewish people began having relationships with some of the, some of the Assyrian people and the Samaritan people came about as like a third culture. And it reminded them of their sin and their brokenness and they, they took all of that hate and they put it on a people group for 750 years. You wonder why the Samaritans weren't super excited about having the Jews come through and stay in their town? Well, instead of letting that break his heart, the son of thunder, John, said, Well, that's something else. Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on these people? He says, No, I don't want that. I don't want that. It's not what I want, son of thunder. That's how he got his nickname, because he was so enraged at the people he'd been hating on, hating him back. Isn't it amazing that God captured that heart and then brought more articulation about the love of God and who God is from that person than any other person? His nickname wouldn't match his future reputation. I wonder if he got a new one. Maybe he did. I want you to hear what it sounds like. I want you to close your eyes for a minute. And I want you to hear what this interaction what Jesus did to the person of John. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. He loved if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because he has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be 
Savior of the world, whoever confesses that Jesus is Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in his love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with, with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is so, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with the, to with, to with the punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. God, we just, we just want to look more like love in everything that we do in our lives. Well, thank you for. If you can transform a son of thunder into a disciple who writes a message empowered by the Spirit that can be read two millennia later on the other side of the world, Lord, what can you do in us? What would you do in us to transform us into those who love you even more completely? to receive your love and, and then share your love, God. This is a powerful thing. We stand in the presence of love today. I ask that you would do a complete work in us. Thank you for, for John, the example he sets for us. Thank you for your word, God. There is power in your word. We are transformed by your word. In Jesus' name. A few things about John's gospel, and then we'll get into our groups. It's the final gospel account. It's written 30 years or more after Matthew, Mark, and Luke are written. And so because it's such things, it can be a more theological gospel. That's what we find is a lot of theology, a lot of our understanding of who God is comes alive through John's text. That's what makes it different than the other three. We see the recording of the seven miracles, the seven I am statements, the things that we've been talking about. That shows up here. It's no uncertain terms. John declares for us that Jesus is God. He does it right out the gates in John 1, 1. Of the four Gospels, John is, is his Gospel is, is founded most deeply in friendship because John and Jesus were so close. He got a nickname, so we get nicknames from people that we're close to. Um, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, Jesus assigned the care of his mother unto John. Because John was there at the base of the cross. Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. He trusted John to care for his mother in his passing. 
the accounts that we get in John's gospel, there's a bunch of them that we don't have in any other gospel account. A lot of the other ones, if you look, you you find the same story in multiple places. But the, the wedding feast, the conversation with Nicodemus, the woman at the well, the resurrection of Lazarus, the washing of the disciples' feet, the full discourse in the garden, which is chapters 14 through 17, that all comes from the gospel of John exclusively. I think that's kind of a special thing about this. And the Gospel of John is most overt in its proclamation of salvation. That's why a lot of times somebody comes to Jesus, let's take them to the Gospel of John. Why? Because it's where we hear directly from Nicodemus that you must be born again. That language isn't made up evangelical language. It comes immediately from the text. Jesus says, you must be born again. Not of flesh, but of spirit. We find in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's the verse that shows up between the uprights in the stands at a football game. It's the only verse that ever shows in John 3.16. John 3.16. Everybody knows what John 3.16 is. Most people don't even know it's a Bible verse. They just know it's John 3.16. <laughs> but that's where we get John 3.16 is from the Gospel of John. So that's kind of a cool thing that's unique about this gospel. And then John 20, verse 21, is it 31? I want to make sure I get this right. Verse 31, the reason why he wrote the gospel, and the Bible Project video does a good job of highlighting this. John 20, verse 31. I'll back up to verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the power of John's gospel. We're all going to do an in-depth assignment together. We began to see how by focusing intently on Jesus, by focusing on his words and his actions, Jesus reveals himself to us. And as we confess his lordship, he moves us from our limited point of view to his kingdom point of view. This happens over and over and over. I really liked this video. It helped me kind of uh, take a look at the gospel in a way that, that I hadn't really looked at it before. But the video broke down Jesus' interactions with people in John chapters 2 through 10 into four Jewish institutions and four Jewish festivals. So there's basic patterns in these eight different interactions, and that one is that Jesus makes a claim or performs an action of some sort. And that in each one of these situations, somehow or some way, people misunderstand Jesus' words or actions. Can you believe that? Someone misunderstanding Jesus? But then it leads people to a place where they have to choose to embrace or reject Jesus' alternative worldview, which is a kingdom worldview. Look at it through the eyes of the kingdom, Jesus says. But at the wedding party... When Jesus came to the temple, when he had the conversation with Nicodemus, when he met with the Samaritan woman, at the Sabbath, at the Passover feast, at the Feast of the Tabernacles and at Hanukkah, Jesus is having these interactions with people. And they are being challenged to think differently about the way that they view the world that they were put in by the Lord. And so here's our challenge in groups of I mean, eight, I think we'll probably come up with eight groups, like smaller than that, but like we need eight different groups. Uh, we're going to read the selected passage from above, so everyone's got the same page, regardless of which one of these that you're doing. We're going to just make sure that we know what actions or claims Jesus is making, 
And then I want us to think about how do Jesus' actions or claims challenge the thoughts of those who were there with Jesus? So we'll just take a look at those things. And then how are we each challenged by those things? What questions does this passage of Scripture, these passages of Scripture, raise for you? How might these questions impact our lives as disciples of Jesus in the week to come?